everyone. Welcome to another Founder Wisdom Podcast, VC edition. Today we have Anurag Agarwal with us. He is Managing Director at Oman Technology Fund, and we're going to have a, a very cool conversation today. Hello, Anu. Um, maybe you can tell us a bit more about yourself and about Oman Technology Fund. Hello, Charles. Uh, excited to be on this podcast. I'm based in Muscat, uh, belonging to VC Fund, Oman Technology Fund. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell you a history about OTF. We started back in 2016, late 2016. Mm-hmm. It was an initiative by the Sovereign Wealth Fund of Oman, okay. wherein they started OTF as actually a fund of funds. And uh, we invested into a few international fund managers in the likes of Kleiner Perkins. We also invested in 500 startups and their global fund also into their le- le- local MENA fund. And uh, we invested in another uh, Iris fund, Atlantic Bridge. I think that's uh, after that, when it came to about selecting the local fund managers, that's when the thinking at the top changed. And then they created teams under OTF itself and to make direct investments. So that's when OTF and the three funds under OTF were uh, established, which is OTF Tequeen, OTF Wadi. Wadi means the valley, which is in Arabic word, it's a Wadi. And OTF Jasur. OTF Jasur means the bridging. Uh, Jasur is an Arabic word again, means the bridge. And OTF Jasur Venture. So, Techmin is a pre-seed fund investing fifty k thousand dollars, but going through an extensive three months program. The startups you can come come to with an idea. No startups you can come build here MVP. Uh, the seed stage funds basically with the product and market fit, uh, looking to accelerate. So they came. They can come and get about hundred to five hundred thousand dollars investments, and then comes the OTF Jasur, which I'm part of. Um, this is a pre post seed stage fund investing into pre series A, series A, um, up to series B into follow on. So it's a $30 million fund and we invest across MENA and opportunistically also outside MENA as well. Interesting. So, tell, me, tell us a bit more about um, Oman because I've heard much about Qatar and obviously United Arab Emirates. Uh, I think um, Oman is a bit um, more quiet uh, on the international scene and um, that fund and like I told you last time my guess and I think it's an educated guess is that it's petroleum money kind of reinvested in tech as petroleum as we know is kind of going away for example here in Quebec uh, Canada all cars all new cars sold and will need to be electric by 2030 Um, so tell us a bit more about Oman and the initiatives to uh, reinvest in in uh, startups and tech. Yeah, so in the Middle East, if you see, I think the early starters were like Jordan uh, and the UAE, which were the at the forefront of this technology and adoption of technology. And so also you see a lot of startups coming from there. Jordan, we call like the kitchen of uh, technology. There are a lot of technical talent come out of it. But UAE has been the commercial market, the big hub, being the also kind of a center of, uh, of so many business activities around the world now. So th- it has grown into stature. And then recently, Egypt and Saudi have come up in a big way, uh, purely because of their numbers. Saudi is a big country, Egypt also with 200 million population. So obviously it makes sense. So these are the bigger markets, if you ask us. And uh, Oman, uh, because of the size country, it's a very small country and not in terms of size, but population, I think still only 4 million plus population. So it has been uh, under the radar, but as you would see now that uh, slowly it is picking up. So I would say that Oman is now where UAE and Saudi were, let's say four or five years back. 
which is where like a lot of people taking interest into startups, a lot of young entrepreneurs who at least come from technology or tech background or entrepreneurship or commercial backgrounds are starting to willing to start startups, trying at least giving it a go. And even so, the government also uh, want to have the exposure in this field. Um, as you said correctly, primarily to have a little bit of diversification away from oil. So have this investment and exposure into this field. And plus also to feed into this uh, young ecosystem and coming up, the young entrepreneurs who are coming up and to help them with funding. Because initially, as you would understand, this uh, early stage companies, early stage founders, uh, government or some sort of government initiatives need to push them and fund them and that's when they come become bigger and when they become a little bit more successful which we have seen a few startups i'll tell you the names and they'll talk about them they can get go and get funding from outside also the major milestone for any company uh, startup or company in our part of the world would be when can they grow and expand outside oman because uh, Oman is a small market to cater to, so you can start and build something here, but then to obviously to become relevant and sizable, you need to go and expand outside. So there are now few examples and instances where companies have demonstrated that, and they've also raised from outside Oman. So, but uh, I would say that OTF has played a big role, pivotal role uh, to kickstart this uh, evolution, if you can say, the startup evolution in Oman. How can Oman be competitive on the international scene and um, let me start with uh, two questions off of that one um, are most um, startup in Oman serving mainly the Middle East market or do they also go international and two are they for example um, I, I would see for example a SaaS for uh, energy management coming from Oman, Oman just like that so am I right in saying that and how can they uh, kind of compete internationally See, uh, what right now, as I said, so we, Oman is a very nascent, a very uh, young ecosystem. So what we are trying to also help the founders and the companies here to at least be able to first compete and expand regionally, which is grow outside of Oman, go to UAE, Saudi, Egypt, Jordan, Lebanon, these countries first and have that capability. And once they are, I think we, we see that once they're able to achieve that, then they, I, we would advise them or uh, motivate them to aspire for growing into outside MENA, which is international expansion. So right now, what we've seen is the top two or three uh, successful startups have done that regionally. And I think the next frontier would be that how can they grow internationally? So there are like two, two, two recent examples where these uh, were Omani startups were acquired by outside players. One was Karzati. Uh, it's a marketplace for cars where you can buy used cars and uh, also refurbished by them, verified on the platform. It was acquired by one Mexican company. I think it's not in the news. I cannot announce the name, but uh, it was by acquired by a Mexican company. So that's like pure play. Uh, Mexican company wanting to come to Middle East, acquiring an Omani player to have a regional footprint in Middle East. And then another company into food delivery app out of Oman, Akib. A-K-E-E-D, Akid, um, uh, that got acquired by another Qatari startup called Snunu. So uh, as you, if you follow the news, Talabat is like the biggest uh, food delivery player in the region. So the other players who are coming here and trying to compete with or gaining market, uh, market share here in this region are trying to acquire these smaller 
companies into countries which where they are dominant and successful. So that's where Akid was acquired by them. Although these are uh, not big exits, but very uh, still very go uh, good enough and relevant for Oman ecosystem because this is a success. And I think what we understand, believe that this will lead to other founders believing that we can build something, grow, and then get good exits. Interesting. How is it for you, um, <clears throat> for example, coming up in uh, in India, you had um, experience in Kuwait, um, so that was a, a long time ago. How was it for you to introduce that uh, country culturally and what, uh, I mean, that's a broad question, but business-wise, what's the difference between uh, this market, um, aka Oman, and uh, Indian market, for example? So when I was in India, I was in JP Morgan. I was in investment banking, which is a very lucrative job. But then what uh, I think what made me feel that it's like I wanted to be on the buy side taking decisions like we want to invest in this or not. So at that point, I was looking into something to break into private equity or venture capital. That's when luckily I got into touch with this guy who was starting the venture capital fund in Omaha, Kuwait. And uh, we started talking and we liked each other. So I thought like that might be a good move to go. Culturally, if you ask me, see, Middle is not very far off from India because uh, the food-wise and living conditions and there are a lot of immigrant Indians in these countries. So it's not very difficult. Um, and the language also, I think mostly English is spoken language in uh, professional field, professional uh, line of work. So it's not an issue there. So, but only thing, if you ask me, have, people have to adjust is to heat. It's very hot out here in summers. <laughs> and Kuwait, I think sometimes it crosses 50 degrees centigrade as well Celsius. So it becomes very tough. But then, um, yeah, so not very difficult. And uh, plus uh, you get like a lot of Indian people you get to make friends with. And even the people here locally, and when, especially when I came from Kuwait to Oman, I think Oman is a lovely bunch of people. They're very humble, very helpful, very supportive. So I've always felt like being at home. My parents, my family often come here and visit me. So I don't feel like I'm very far off from my home or in India. Work-wise, I think um, in, in if you look at Indian ecosystem, when I left it, it was at a different shape and now it is at a different. So I left India in 2014. When Indian ecosystem was also not that, that big, uh, at that time, U.S. and China were the uh, at the forefront in uh, startups and technology and producing unicorns day after. But now, if you look at India, it's a massive, massive market. There are so many unicorns have come out of it. So it's at a different scale. And uh, like we were recently speaking to an tech startup in India. They said, we have 2 million users. We have still not started monetizing it. We are doing a beta testing. Uh, and a 2 million users would be like a full-fledged uh, market for a, a, a Middle East egg tech startup, okay? If if any startup can achieve that, it's like a, already a $100 million business here in Middle East. So that's where the difference comes in. But um, obviously, I'm connected to Indian ecosystem. I talk to a lot of VC friends. I personally angel invest in India. Uh, from our fund, we don't have the mandate to invest in India, but I do angel invest uh, just to make some money also and to be close to the Indian ecosystem, follow the news. Like unless you put your money, you won't you won't be too much into touch with that ecosystem. So yeah, that that's where it is. And uh, now I think we are starting to see like some sort of collaboration. We are trying to help one of our companies. Actually, that happens to be from Oman, and trying to expand to India. Let's see if we can be successful. But uh, we're seeing starting to see if there be some synergies.
Interesting. Is it my lack of um, knowledge slash um, me putting my energy in searching for uh, Chinese startups? Because I haven't seen impress. I mean, like apart from, you know, uh, Tencent and AliExpress and, you know, these humongous um, startups, I'm not sure if you've studied the, the China uh, startup ecosystem, but in my opinion, I've seen like way more um, unicorns and interesting startups emerge out of India. And I believe that India is, you know, that the future eventually India will be um, the largest uh, unicorn pr producer um, in, in like, let's say 10 to 20 to 30 years. Uh, what is your opinion on that? Do you, do you also see do you see China as taking over and as a threat like most people do? Because I don't see that. And do you see uh, India eventually taking over that? See, uh, politically is a different thing. But if you talk about technology and startups, I think China has always been slightly ahead. And uh, uh, we, we don't see that as a threat. I think because of the massive consumer market, like massive domestic population that China and India has, we don't need to export or sell anything outside, not China, not India. If you can do, I think it's a good thing, but if you can sell it and uh, cater to your own market, like even 10% of it, it's a massive, massive market. Uh, I think why uh, recently you're starting to hear about India getting more foreign interest and foreign funding is because of the regulation changes in China. They've cracked down on their own um, this uh, tech founders and like if you read, read about it, the ed tech companies went through a lot of problems in China mandated that they cannot be profit making. So suddenly all of the money which was supposed to go into ed tech in China now has to be deployed somewhere else in any other emerging, emerging market. And I think the most go to market after China would be India for most people, most uh, foreign funds. So that has happened. and. Uh, since, uh, as you understand, like China has already become a slightly more mature market and India is growing to becoming that. So recent, you will hear more of India in the uh, next four to five years than China. And not because Ch India has overtaken China or India is a threat to China, but just because India would be growing. And I think both ecosystem, China and India can coexist together and become uh, big and relevant for the world. Yeah, um not sure if the, the word threat was right here. It's just that, you know, if um, if there's a startup uh, in China, well, they're regulated and most of the time all, even controlled um, partly by the government with their own ideology. So, but yeah, yeah, like I've been to China, I've lived there. It's an amazing country. Um, just that, yeah, from an ideology perspective, I, I think they're, they're a bit aback. Um, <clears throat> and that's not helping them also on the on an yeah. economic level, uh, kidnapping Jack Ma is not going to help anyone. Um, the, the politics apart, um, <clears throat> do you have signs uh, of a startup, like a startup founder, when he's in front of you or she's in front of you? You have like early telltale sign that they're going to be a good investment even before doing your due diligence. I always like if you go to my Twitter profile and the bio, I've written that investment is all about gut feeling. So we, it doesn't mean that we don't go through the process. We do a very detailed process of going through our due diligence, looking at all the information, the financial, the forecast, the projections, and looking at the legal paperwork. Sometimes we also conduct technology DD when it uh, involves deep tech. But, but uh, mostly what you can say that 90% of the time when you meet a founder, and for the first, in the first meeting itself, you can say like, this is the guy I want to invest in, this is the guy I want to back. And, uh, most of the time that happens the case like when you meet in the first meeting and you feel like this is 
one company I can go ahead and most of the time you end up investing in that. And there's never been like in first meeting, you don't like someone and then you can start liking it. Seldom happens that. So I think one is the connection that you build. It's very personal. Second, I think um, it's it's the quality of the founders as well. Um, mostly with the things that they talk. I think there's not much to show in terms of product or relevant traction or revenues at their stage, that stage that we invest in, maybe little. But what separates good founders from bad founders is the vision and are they doing the right things? Are they taking the shortcuts or are they going through the detailed process? Are they greedy about valuations or they are like fair about valuations and they're not too much bothered about valuation, but they want to create value. How do they treat their employees? If there is a proper ESOP plan, these things tell you like, okay, this guy is a good founder and he's not just here to make a hundred million dollar exit and get away from it, but he's trying to build a business which can be exitable in the future. And I often say, but this might sound a cliche, but then we, we often say like we as a firm, that we invest in people, we don't invest in companies. And I think even though it's a cliche, it, might, it is very relevant in at least the tech startup ecosystem. Do you see that as the future of investing? We've seen various platforms that invest in humans instead of companies. So there are shares of humans being, being sold. Um, so I'm an ambitious founder. You want to invest in me personally, whatever startup idea I start. Is that the future of investing? It's a very far-fetched thought right now. It's not so easy to tell, but then this is something that actually among friends, among our VC friends, when we sit over coffee and drinks, in the, we've discussed that. Uh, how about we come up with an idea where, uh, let's say you're young, when you're young, and uh, this is like, could be an idea as well. When you're young, and but some most people don't have the means to go through uh, the expenses of education and maybe higher education. So how about you pick up some pe such people and invest in them and in return, whenever they start earning in terms of salary or in terms of businesses, you get some equity out of it. So a lot needs to be think, thought about this, how it can be done. But I think, yes, we can be moving there and uh, when and how soon it's difficult to tell, but yeah, it's not very difficult to, it's not very, uh, like you would not say that far-fetched to say that this might be the future. Yeah, it's just the, the contractual part of it, right? That because there's a reason why um, companies are uh, separate than individuals that, you know, it can become slavery pretty quickly if you lock a, a human being in a contract and you own that, okay. that human being. So, but yeah, there's already apps um, and I guess they can uh, opt out of the, the contract pretty quickly, you know, um, so it, it needs to to be win-win. Um, and sorry for interrupting you. We just had like a couple minutes left. So I wanted to ask a couple more questions. You yeah. um, I went to Morocco and it was the first time that I experienced, you know, the, the Arab world and the Arab culture, um, which is very cool. But also, for example, my wife and my assistant, they they weren't really at ease there. You know, the, the women's are are being uh, treated uh, not as equals uh, there. Do you uh, get into problems in Oman because of that? Uh, I mean, female founders must be uh, very, very minor um, in that place. Do you, do you face problems regarding that? No, we don't. And I think Oman is a very fair ecosystem. So there is no, we don't see then any sort of inequality or injustice to the women founders. And we do have a very fair representation of women founders in our portfolio. Uh, I think around 20 to 30% of the startups are being led by either they are only women led found companies or the CEOs are there being led by women founders. So there's a fair representation. 
and uh, uh, in terms of inequality we've never seen that in at least uh, dubai oman these part of the world because uh, pressing culture might be different but that does not mean that women are being oppressed or anything of that sort so we have always feel, felt comfortable like there are uh, we in our offices in our day to day life we come across so many women founders we discuss talk and uh, go it's a, like a normal business so there's nothing different when you deal with a women versus a men founder okay interesting um i want to finish off like by leaving it kind of broad i mean you speak to a bunch of companies you're in touch with the trends uh the world trends um just like i arrived here in quebec three weeks ago and i'm seeing many trends right but for example they don't talk much about covid anymore and last time i was there was all over the news all the time um there's a lack of uh labor here in quebec i see a bunch of these trends and as a result i can start with um i, I can come up with startup ideas what trends uh do you see in the world and what would be a very good startup idea to start either in oman or any place in the world to specifically pinpoint a specific idea might be difficult but then uh, what we are seeing after the covid and like how the people have evolved is uh, I, i think edtech is one big space where people have realized that yeah so much can happen uh, remotely plus also the way the teachers in the schools have been teaching our kids can change could be more practical could be more hands on and uh, pra- practical experience health also uh, like health traditionally have been going in one certain way that you go to see a doctor then they prescribe you and if there is ailment where is where you need to be treated in a hospital you get admitted but this is changing now like we seems i am i sit on the board of one uh, as an observer one of the very successful startups here in abu dhabi which is a platform for chronic health diseases now these guys don't need to go to a doctor just for prescription but on the platform now they can go and subscribe for a prescription and get medicines delivered to their home so now this save them like so much hassle and time and energy so this is how health is changing similarly i think um, um at tech health and i think fintech already we are seeing so many advances the way uh, in the, in this space i think india is like the world leader i was in india recently and i saw like actually literally you don't need to carry a wallet now outside you can just go out with your phone 90% of the people around you at the mom and pop stores will accept payment through a mobile phone and in that's where i think globally also that needs to happen this is where i think middle east has a lot to catch up to and uh, the regulations part of it come into picture so they need to develop systems but digital payments become a day to day reality as with at least i want to talk about um, mohammed bin salman's project um what's it called again the the city the smart city that he's building yes what is um, it called do you remember nema or something like that i can't remember the name yes it's uh, that that city is just incredible and you know apart from the line the, i think the line okay well yeah it's, it's just crazy it's like 2 kilometers wide and like 10 kilometers glass long and i was like oh my god this is so beautiful so apart from the the politics side of you know saudi arabia i think like on a innovation front they're they're really at the forefront um we can also cite you know uh, dubai 2020 not sure if that one happened or dubai uh, 2030 or as uh, was it no, saudi Expo, dubai dubai expo 2030 yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and saudi 21. as well like organize something so it seems that um 
these countries are really at the forefront um, if you compare them to, to others. Uh, am I right in saying that? And what do you see uh, uh, in the future of Middle East regarding tech? I think Dubai has always been at the forefront because of its uh, advantages, as in a lot of people want to come and live and work in Dubai. But uh, now Saudi is coming up big time. Anyone I speak to, one and three person, every third person is moving to Saudi because there are a lot of VC funds coming up, a lot of startups which have come up. And uh, if you just read the local reports, like there is on the ecosystem, I think now Saudi is representing like as many number of startups as UAE in terms of funding. Maybe the amount of funding is still a little bit higher uh, in terms of check sizes in UAE, in terms of deal sizes and number of deals that are happening and Saudi is becoming uh, almost equal to UAE. So Saudi is became, uh, pushing a lot on this, in this space to promote and have a lot of startups come up in this country and also encouraging others like companies outside Saudi to come and start set, set base in Saudi and they're giving a lot of incentives in terms of legal, economical and commercial benefits and also making visas and labor laws, all of these making it easier for companies to go and set up there. And also culturally also Saudi is embracing a lot and trying to become a little bit more friendly for uh, uh, foreigners, for immigrants to come and live there too, so that they want to go there and be, be there. So Saudi is coming up a big time. We are all yeah. excited about Saudi. Yeah, it's very cool. And uh, the city is uh, Neom. I found the name. So, yeah, I mean, Neom. I mean, it's been a very good interview. Thank you for your time. Uh, was uh, yeah. impressive insights that you dropped here. So, uh, just tell us where where can people find you uh, online? Um, I'm I'm available on LinkedIn uh, uh, under my name, and uh, if people type Oman Technology Fund, they'll find me. Plus, I'm also available on Twitter, Anurag underscore VC. Uh, that's my Twitter handle. So they can find me there. I'll follow you on Twitter so you can read some of my controversial tweets. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. All right, man. Have a good day. Thank you, Thank you Charles. Have a good day. Bye-bye.